I'm Ray Johnston and welcome to your monthly Indigenous STEM special for Take It Black, where you can stay up to date with all the latest happenings in science, technology, engineering and maths. It's also a place where we look at the intersection of traditional knowledge and modern science and speak to people working in this space to find out what they are up to. First, here's some tech news. Voice assistant Alexa is getting even smarter. Amazon's smart home AI can now control your gadgets based on your previous behaviour. Alexa's hunches feature has been around since 2018, but you've had to give Alexa the thumbs up before she goes ahead and turns off your lights or turns on your coffee maker. Now it's automatic and it will work with a bunch of smart home devices, including smart locks. Take it black. Google's parent company Alphabet is shutting down its internet balloon business Loon, which was supposed to provide a cheaper alternative to phone towers. Using balloons the length of tennis courts to float solar-powered networking gear high above the earth, Loon's technology successfully provided phone coverage in areas where towers were knocked down by natural disasters. It will now share its technology with carriers, governments or non-profit groups aiming to tackle remote connectivity. Take it black. Sony may be planning to make virtual reality on PlayStation a spectator sport. A new patent filed by the company talks about how a person wearing the PSVR headset can be helped or hindered by other people interacting with the game through controllers or even a smartphone. This could mean a new multiplayer PSVR in the future, which, in my professional opinion, sounds awesome. Imagine being able to charge your phone with air. Well, imagine no more. Smartphone specialist Xiaomi claims to have created the next evolution of wireless charging that can boost your battery through the air. Instead of needing a cable or a wireless charging plate, this new tech charges by receiving a signal. We don't yet know when we'll be able to get our hands on this new technology, but I'll be sure to keep you updated. And for more of the latest tech news, tune in to NITV Radio at 1.30pm on Wednesdays. Take it black. Nearly 700 million astronomical objects have been carefully catalogued and made public as part of a major international collaboration involving researchers from the Australian National University. The latest data release from the Dark Energy Survey means the project has now mapped roughly an eighth of the night sky, stretching back to almost the beginning of time in some cases. This makes it one of the world's largest astronomical catalogues. The Australian part of the survey is jointly led by ANU astronomer Dr Christopher Lidman and Professor Tamara Davis from the University of Queensland. They hope the project can answer some of our biggest questions when it comes to our universe, including what it's made of and how it began. 
Dr Lidman said this is the culmination of years of effort. And in addition to mapping hundreds of millions of galaxies, thousands of exploding stars have been discovered. The Dark Energy Survey, it started collecting data in 2013 using a state-of-the-art astronomical camera fixed on a four-metre aperture telescope in northern Chile. At the same time, the Anglo-Australian Telescope, located in Australia and operated by ANU on behalf of a group of 13 Australian universities, it was used to measure exact distances to many of the objects and to confirm the nature of the exploding stars. Dr Lidman said hundreds of researchers from many countries have worked together over two decades to achieve this common goal. And according to Professor Davis, the huge volume of data will allow the research team to measure the history of cosmic expansion and the growth of large-scale structures in the universe, both of which reflect the nature and the amount of dark energy in the universe. Professor Davis will use the data to investigate the nature of dark energy, which should reveal what's behind the acceleration of the expansion of the universe, one of the biggest mysteries in science. This data will be such a valuable resource for the public, as well as astronomers and scientists around the world. The second data release from the Dark Energy Survey is now available online at darkenergysurvey.org. My guest this episode is David Johnston, the Director of Aboriginal Archaeologists Australia. But I'll let Dave tell you more about what he does. Thanks so much for joining me on Take It Black, Dave. Hi, Ray. Thanks for having us on. Now, we start every interview on this show the same way, and that's who's your mob? Where are you from? Well, it's funny enough, I've just got back from my hollows and Kings. I was a, a part of the Parliament of the Stolen Gen. I was adopted out, so I got the name Johnston. But 52 years later, I've tracking down my mob over the last Christmas holiday. So I've got a collection of on both Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander from Moa. I've got Kwandamooka and from the Cairns region on the... Uh, which I've just found out the other week. So I'm going through the process of meeting up with all my family now. Wonderful. Hopefully there's some of your family listening to this interview right now and they can get in touch. That'd be lovely. I wanted to ask when your interest in archaeology began. It's, I've been doing it the whole I My father, my adopted father, Treb, was a lighthouse keeper and I grew up on about five different islands on the Great Barrier Reef and... Being on the island, I was homeschooled. I used to explore the caves and I had an interest in history. And my mum, who was an English teacher, Kath, said, oh, maybe you want to be an archaeologist. Because I came back one day from exploring the caves when I was 11 years old. I said, what's that? Being a good English teacher, she said, look it up in the encyclopedia. So I raced over and dusted off the old 1958 Encyclopedia Britannica and read it. And I thought, oh, that's what I want to do. So that was my interest. I studied further... um, and correspondence and pursued that as a career went to uni and did archaeology and anthropology um and i've been doing that ever since the passion for uh the, the politics i guess if you like of looking after sites came with my colleagues and um 
uh, at university. And sort of that's what I've been doing on that in trying to protect Australia's Indigenous heritage ever since. Tell me about Aboriginal Archaeologists Australia. What What is this organisation? What does it do? Well, we have two of the um, Aboriginal Archaeologists Australia is my company, uh, which I work as a consultant uh, doing environmental impact assessment work. But I also do, I work different to other archaeologists, I work directly for communities who appoint me as their um, heritage advisor. So I work directly for um, Indigenous communities. I've been working from Cape York down to, on the eastern st- uh, states, down to um, Boonwurrung country in Melbourne, in, in Victoria. So over the years, 35 years I've been working, 33 years, um, I don't know, I've done between two and 3,000 projects and sort of lost track now. So working on a range of environmental impact assessments, but I also do a lot of uh, policy for governments and been on various committees over the years. And the difficult end of it is at times I've been working for communities to protect sites, and that's often meant I've been in court cases taking on those that have damaged sites. Um, so there's a lot of voluntary work, but basically my interest is, you know, community-inspired or directed archaeologies. Um, uh, which we call community archaeology. And um, the main aim, besides the commercial side, is also to get a recognition of our important heritage in Australia and also to try to get adequate protection of these places, which we're, we've had a, a difficulty doing over the last few decades. Are there many Aboriginal archaeologists in this country? We now have about 1819, and we set up an organisation at the Australian Indigenous Archaeologists Association. Um, I was one of the first to come through with my honours and did a master's back in 93 at London Uni, which gave me a ticket to ride. But now we've got some of our first PhDs coming through. Wilson from Flinders, uh, our elder Ron Heron got an honorary doctorate in 2014. Uh, Kelly Pollard has got a PhD recently and Cal Elwood. So we've got a great uh, cohort of strong Indigenous archaeologists. So there's a number of us working at unis, uh, consultancies, museums, um, and of course we want to grow that. So we're setting up our association and this year we're going to be holding a number of symposiums um, addressing some of those key issues, heritage, um, Indigenous heritage uh, management reform in Australia, which we're needing after the Jukun Gorge and uh, incidents in the last few years. So we're wanting to address that to you know, improve the recognition of Australia's rich and ancient history and having the respect to look after it. Because we argue it's all Australia's history and heritage, and I think we need that. Well, this year, we're going to be lobbying uh, further to, you know, to promote that that issue. I'm curious about the process of becoming formally educated as an archaeologist, and if there's any room for traditional knowledge that's been passed down yeah. through our families within that system. Yeah, absolutely, I'm here. Years after I did my honours, I'm just starting this week my my PhD, my doctorate, back at the School of Archaeology and Anthropology at the Australian National University. And I'm looking at that theme, which is, um, my title is called One Place, Many Stories. It's the story of Australian history. But Australian Indigenous Community Archaeologies from Within. So it's, it's looking at and setting a charter for community aspirations for works and looking after heritage. So each community, and this is the thing where traditional knowledge comes through, has their own values, obligations to protect and stories, places, the tangible and intangible. And we need a process that's not just driven by 
academic research, not just driven by the need for consultancy for development, but to fulfil our, our cultural obligations to look after, record um, our histories, our knowledge to those places, and also to pass it on to our kids in the future. So I'm, I'm, that is a key part of what the work I've done and, and elders in, uh, in terms of teaching me, and I'm still being taught as we go, um, but that is so in, integral to our, our well-being, our well-being, our social emotional well-being, because heritage is one aspect, but it's our country, our land, looking after it's caring for country. Um, and that's something I think now we're seeing with the, the, the catastrophic fires about, you know, cultural burns. It's all, um, and other, you know, indigenous knowledges and practices that have been handed down for thousands of years. But it is all about caring for country, caring for self. How is it different working with mob in archaeology to working with, you know, non-Indigenous archaeologists? It's a really good question. I get so much joy working with our communities, and that's why I still do it. I work with everyone. There's a place for everyone to, to work together, but we're trying to get equitable partnerships in, in, in these relationships doing heritage. What we're, The problem in the consultancy world is that we're doing environmental environmental impact assessment for new mines, new roads. But we have our legislation such that these mines or the developers employ the consultant archaeologists. And so therefore there's a bit of a bias, whereas I work directly with communities. So we need to change that, and that's something we're going to be lobbying for. But our values and sites, our social values, um, need to be recognised and, and protected in those uh, important, where we have those important sites, which all our communities do. I think what w- the problem we've had in Australia for the last two decades has been this big mining boom, and we've seen a dumbing down of our Commonwealth responsibility for national heritage environmental legislations, which has allowed the continual destruction of our sites. We need to refocus and We'll have this discussion in Australia, and that's our association is going to be attempting to do with our communities to say, well, what are the minimum standards of heritage protection that we need? And to ensure that our intrinsic you know, relationship with our country, our sites and our obligations to pass on, protect and care for country in that, 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 that mould um, uh, can be achieved. And I think with the events with Black Lives Matter around the world, we still haven't had that debate properly here yet, and I hope that we do and we will. Um, we need to address, you know, the protection and management of our culture and heritage. The thing is that what we feel is that this is all Australia's heritage. It's something that I think we could embrace as all Australians as a multicultural country. It's just refocusing on community, um, the humanitarian side, not just a, a quick fix with mining or developments for a quick buck at that time. Uh, we need to build our community and heritage can afford and bring everyone together shared histories but if you've got a cultural group and we have many within the Australian Indigenous context for thousands of years we have much as I often say it's our great Australia's greatest unrealised asset we just need to embrace it learn it um, and it's there and we're willing to share and, and provide that but we need to have our places also protected. As a science journalist, I get press releases every day from you know, academic institutions and, and organisations all over the country. And yeah, the, the language used in, in some of these emails are, are very much centred around them discovering uh, areas and discovering uh, our absolutely. sacred sites. And uh, Absolutely. That's an old... Look, it, I am a proud archaeologist in the distance, but we still need to change that Western side of 
we being the subject and and the 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 great finder, the discoverer, um, that is a part of archaeology. But if you had partnerships where there's a respect to the elders, it's about these sites belong to someone. We have custodians of these ancient sites. It doesn't matter how old they are, but it's something that we can all share. And we need to. And that's one of the things we're doing in the universities is refocusing that uh, attention. We're developing equitable partnerships with researchers. It's about respect, um, cultural competency. Uh, we as Indigenous archaeologists have that obligation and have, you know, we have expectations from community and ourselves. So we're trying to share that. So and part of my PhD is to raise this whole community archaeology of the aspirations of our communities for heritage management, recognition or protection. And what's happened, being a long player in this, this game, is that we need to reform our heritage legislation so that there is a, a an international threshold of uh, minimum standards of heritage management, and that goes to the natural environment as well. Um, indigenous and voices in this are very important, but when we have economics, which has been the main thing for development, being the, the primary uh, motivator for heritage reform, we we lose out, and so does the country. Are you seeing things improving in that space? Are you, are you seeing institutions reaching out and saying, "Hey, we need to we need to actually Certainly. get community involvement here"? I've been in the game for three decades, and I'm more now. We have trends, but when that mining boom of late, and from the Howard era, I've, I've seen it just decline horrendously, and the respect and attitude to Indigenous heritage and peoples. Jukun Gorge was the you know accumulation of a you know a path laid down by the Commonwealth Government to allow a state to do that. We need to readdress that, and that's something we're going to be lobbying and having that, that truth-telling, if you like. But some of the institutions certainly are engaging. After the issues of last year, where the spotlight was put on Australia, it was interesting with the Jukun Gorge and the Black Lives Matter happening at the same time. The rest of the world looked at us with a spotlight, and all of a sudden we're blowing up our sites. And it wasn't ha- this change didn't happen within the country. So now that the issues are for the rest of the world aware of how we're treating our people and our heritage, uh, it's, it's refocused and now it's the opportunity. So institutions are now looking at improving engagement. But it's a long way to go because we also need to have some cultural competency and that there's a role for our peoples to share, you know, our expectations, our aspirations, and that the academic research agenda has a focus that is in partnership and it's not just appropriating and using. So we have that discussion still to go, but the time's right to do that. You mentioned that you've been around in this game for a while, but what about the people wanting to get into it? What about our, our younger mob out there that are, are wanting to do what you do? Do you have any advice for them? Absolutely. One of the things we want to do with our is archaeological association um, is to be able to mentor, hopefully get some scholarships going for our, our mob. I'm a part of all those. Besides my Western education, I'm a product of all those communities I work for who also mentored me. And now I'm now also wanting to ask those skills, those strengths. There's a whole heap of factors of you know, Indigenous learning that I've been so, um, so grateful to receive, and now I want to be able to do that. that. So if, um, there's a career for it. Uh, absolutely, would encourage. We need more young Indigenous you know, scientists. Get it back within the 
sometimes you have to be quite strong when you've got a developmental lawyers. I mean, I've taken a lot of my crew, taken on mining companies. Uh, hopefully, we'll, as younger ones coming on board, type of thing. But, um, there's, there's a lot of willing and wanting to be out. Get in contact with um, any budding anthropologists and anthropologists. It's a great career. You're helping your communities, learning as well. I never stop learning, and that's the greatest you know, privilege that, with my career. It's wonderful. And for anyone listening, wanting to get involved, lend a hand, spread the word, help with your lobbying, what can they do? Well, we'll have our Indigenous Arts website up soon, but they, if you're able to get my contact details here, you, people can get in contact with me. I don't do a lot of social media, but um, or if they can contact yourself and to put them in contact, we're always um, ready to assist and help if our ones coming through. Wonderful. And before I let you go, is there anything that you'd love everyone to know about archaeology that you know might be a, a, a fun fact, uh, something misunderstood, or or just something that's a little bit underappreciated? Absolutely. Two points. <laughs> Two points. Getting to meet your community elders, knowing your community, learning the history and heritage, and both of those together through aspects of archaeology and history, but talking to our, our elders will enhance your life tenfold knowing about country as our elders and communities do. My last little one, if I may do a plug-in, um, to become a, uh, the new host, one of the new co-hosts of Fox, the Foxtel History Channel's Post Australia Series 4. To get a chance to have a look at that, I'm hoping to use the exposure with, with that program um, to get sponsorship, if anyone's out there, to get Australian Indigenous Archaeologists Association to be able to produce an Australian Indigenous archaeological documentary series. So we're certainly keen to um, sponsors out there. Um, we'd like to tell, builders, tell our history and heritage from an archaeological, a cultural, spiritual, um, in our voices and our, our words. That's something that we, we haven't done as yet. Um, others have been telling our story and we're really keen to have our peoples tell our history and heritage. And that history and heritage is just beginning as what we know. The oral histories are there, but there's a lot of our, our sites go back so far and so long. And a lot of that story isn't, isn't out there in the public yet. So um, young Indigenous archaeologists come on board and help us um, further that story with our elders' blessing. Wonderful. Thanks for your time, Dave. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having us on. That was David Johnston from Aboriginal Archaeologists Australia. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know. Give us a rating, share it with your friends, subscribe. And if there's anything STEM-related you'd like to know more about, hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or LinkedIn at Ray Johnston and I'll give you all the info in the next STEM episode. Until then, don't forget to take it black. Oh,